Hello and welcome to this Grange Festival podcast. I'm Jack Pepper, I'm a composer and also a presenter on Scala Radio. Across three separate episodes, we're going to be exploring each of the Grange Festival's 2019 productions. The Marriage of Figaro, Falstaff and Belshazzar. Today it's Verdi's Falstaff and I'm delighted to be joined by Chris Luscombe, the director, and Francesco Cilufo, the conductor. Let's start at the very beginning with the basics. Christopher, if we could sum up the plot in a nutshell. Right. Is that possible? Yes. I can have a go. Because <laughs> the plot is based on the Shakespeare play, The Merry Wives of Windsor. And it's all about Sir John Falstaff, who's a very um, dissolute and overweight aristocrat who arrives in Windsor and he's very hard up. Um, and so he decides he's going to try and get some money and the best way he knows to do that is to seduce one of the ladies of the town. In fact, two of the ladies, two of the merry wives of Windsor. And he's going to, by seducing them, get to their wallets. And it's a farce, I suppose. One of the wives in question has a very jealous husband. And he is on the lookout for any hint that she might be being unfaithful to him. So there's a lot of fun that ensues because of his chasing at these women. So is this just a comedy then, Christopher? Because... The libretto is an adaptation of Shakespeare's Merry Wives of Windsor, but there are also scenes from Henry IV that are incorporated. There are odd lines and also one or two extended passages where Verdi has taken a little bit of Shakespeare from the Henry IV plays. Why do you think that's the case? I think the reason he did that is because Falstaff was an incredibly popular character for Shakespeare. He put him into the Henry IV Part One, Henry IV Part Two, and obviously for his audience, he was Falstaff became this sort of iconic wonderful, hilarious character. And I think that when Verdi set it, Verdi, who had spent his whole life writing serious, tragic operas, I think he wanted to let his hair down and have fun and write a comic opera, but I think he also wanted to give Falstaff as much substance as he could. And the passages he picked from Henry IV to, to interpolate just make Falstaff a more rounded figure. So is he just a buffoon then? Or does no, he represent no. something deeper? I think he's I think he's more substantial than that. And I think he's in a way it's interesting that Verdi wrote about him at the end of his life because he's a character who has had a great life, he's had a lot of fun, but he's now rather he's getting a little bit weary and he's struggling to keep up the the jokes and the fun. And it's I suppose it's a it's the whole piece really is about how you deal with getting older. So, Francesco, how does this sit musically in, in Verdi's work? We've mentioned that this, he's writing this approaching the age of 80. Does that show, does his experience and, and maybe sort of traces of other operas show in the music? Funny enough, you know, there's always been this ongoing dispute at the end of the 19th century between Verdi and Wagner. 
the men have a lot of things in common, like all enemies. Uh, one of them is they only managed to write one successful comedy, uh, and that was towards the end of their life. And it dealt both they both deal with uh, how an old man looks back at life and how he deals with getting older. In case of uh, Verdi, it was Falstaff. In the case of Wagner with um, the Master Zinger, it's Hans Sachs. And so I'm, I'm saying this because musically, the wonderful, the real miracle that this opera is, not only is a miracle because someone who, who wrote possibly the best tragic operas of music history managed also to write one of the best comedies uh, at the end of his life, but also because the whole score is infused of that witty, funny, and yet always substantial, quite deeper sense of seeing life through a certain kind of lenses. So do you think Verdi could have written this opera years before? Or did it have to be written at the end of his life? Did this have to be Verdi's last opera? I think it had, and he clearly planned that to be, because we know for a fact that after, he thought that his life would have been, his professional life would have been finished with Aida. And then he, made, he, he was convinced to write Otello. But at the end of Otello, he really thought that was it. And then this idea of writing a comedy, first for himself, because it's interesting, if you read the letters, he really thought that he was writing Falstaff mostly as, a, as an exercise, almost like a therapeutic thing. You know, you write a masterpiece just for your own. And then, of course, because everyone was waiting for the next Verdi opera, and everyone was already going in another direction at that time, musically speaking. So the idea that you can still have one last great work from Verdi was so exciting. I mean, newspapers were printed with news about, oh, we hear that possibly there's another Verdi opera, you know, that, that the man still has something to say, and indeed he had. headlines of your production Chris is there is there a key message or something that we can expect from from the evening well we spent a long time debating how best to tell the story and I I, I work very closely with the designer Simon Higlett and we've done a lot of other plays and shows together and we thought initially that we might set it in Verdi's time actually because obviously the piece itself was written originally by Shakespeare in the late 16th century, but it was set, in fact, earlier than that. Um, in, in Shakespeare's head, he sets it a, a good 150 years earlier than that. But we thought maybe it would be quite nice to set it in Verdi's time because it's really about, in a way, the end of an era, the end of the old order, the end of the aristocracy. And we thought that was quite good for the sort of 1900 kind of period before the First World War. And then we went to Windsor, Simon and... Francesco and I, we all went to Windsor to have a look around because we were very, I was very keen that we set it specifically in Windsor uh, because I think that the play and therefore the opera are very particular to that place. It's a very particular kind of place because it's very middle class. It's quite near London, so there's a sense of being near the centre of things, but it's, at, but it's also in the country and it's got this huge castle which dominates everything. So there's a confidence that comes with that because you have the royal castle right next door. And there are references in both the play and the opera to Windsor. 
that show that Shakespeare knew Windsor. He must have been there because there's some very particular references. So I think we went to have a look. We thought, do you know, nothing's really changed. And all these characters could exist so happily in modern Windsor. And I just felt with the royal wedding last year that we are so conscious of Windsor in our lives at the moment. And it might be fun for the audience to see Windsor as it is now reflected back at them. And in a way, they're looking at themselves because here we all are, we're... Where the the audience are very much part of the same world as Windsor, so I just decided that that might be the best way to do it. I think that Shakespeare, obviously brought up in Stratford, he knew middle class provincial England like the back of his hand, and so a lot of the characters I think would have been with him since childhood. Um, his father was an alderman in Stratford; he knew that he knew that middle class world. So he is very authentic, and I, I when I, I've directed the play at Shakespeare's Globe, and I found that the best way into it was to think of these characters as being real people and I do I think that works for the opera too and we tend to think of opera as being a rather heightened world but actually in rehearsing it we've tried to keep our feet on the ground and think think of these people as you know then like you're like your next door neighbors so, so as, a, yeah. as a director do you often like to go to the place that you're exploring I, I do I do try and do that and I try to think it helps me I just find that if I if I can visualize the place, it becomes real to me rather than just um, a work of art. It becomes about real life, flesh and blood. How do you start as a director of an opera? I mean, are you are you do you apply to lots of different <laughs> opera festivals and say I'd like to produce this and these are my ideas? Or no, or, they, or they, you... I've, this is my first opera, so I I don't really know the answer to that question. I wish if if you find out, could you tell me? <laughs> but I I I was asked to. I think because I've done a lot of Shakespeare, and I think the um, Michael Chance, who's the artistic director of the Grange Festival, I think he he thought that it might. He knew I wanted to do an opera. And I think he felt that to do a Shakespeare-based opera might suit me because I know The Merry Wives from directing. I've also been in it at Stratford, uh, the RSC. And so I, I think he felt that I would be, I might be new to the genre, but I would feel safe within the world of that particular piece. So are you? would you class yourself as an opera lover over the years or have you come to opera relatively recently? Because you started professional life as an actor. Yes. Spent seven years with the Royal Shakespeare Company. You're now an associate artist with them. Yeah. Have you always loved opera through your life? Yes, I've seen opera as a sort of hobby that I've been to. I've been to the opera. I go to the opera. I, I love the opera. And then I sort of, I think something clicked in me. I think when I started doing very big uh, plays, big Shakespeare plays at Stratford and big musicals. And I sort of suddenly thought, well, actually, I, I suppose I could think about doing this professionally. It, you know, I could do opera professionally. And I, and I, um, I sort of thought that really, I'm not sure that there's that big a difference. People like to think there's a huge gulf between plays and opera, musicals and opera. But really, you're just telling a story and you're telling it through music. And... Um, uh, so I, I, so I know I was, a, I was an opera fan, but I, I really wanted to experience being in a rehearsal room with that music all around me. That's really interesting as well that you say your experience with musicals 
isn't necessarily as different to yeah. the world of opera because because yeah. you you've been instrumental. You're directing the Rocky Horror Show. Yeah, uh, it's, it's on tour in the UK at the moment. So I'm 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 sort of I've, I've directed Rocky Horror for thirteen years actually, and I I and I, it's still on. And we're doing it. Um, in South Africa later this year, and it's, it's, so it's it's constantly with me. Really, is the process quite different when you're working on a musical compared to an opera? Do you have longer, or or no, is about the same? Actually, okay. how long is it? Well, we 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 rehearsed the the operas. I suppose, I suppose you could say five weeks. It's a little bit longer because of the time in the theatre with the, getting to know the scenery and things. But most of the rehearsal is done in five weeks, um, and that would be about the same as a musical. It's quite similar. One of the big differences is with opera singers, they arrive on the first day having learnt the score. And actors and singers in musicals don't necessarily do that. They they might do, but there's no pressure to do that. Whereas for opera singers, there's a real pressure, isn't there? And there's an obligation. So that's been fantastic because they could put their scores down and, and we could rehearse with the freedom of them knowing it backwards. Because, Francesco, you're also a composer as well yes, as a conductor, yes. a PhD in composition from King's College London. Yes, indeed. So does that inform your work as a conductor? Do you look at this music as if you're almost a, you know, a composer as well as leading the score? Yes, I think it's essential to be a composer, to be a conductor, um, because there is a way in which you have to know how those things get to the page in order then to analyze it and then make it your own when you perform it. I mean, one of the greatest, of course, composer and conductor were Leonard Bernstein, who said that every time he performed the score, for him, it was like recomposing it in his head. It makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's like thinking, how can you read without being able to write? I mean, you, can't, you don't have to be a writer in order to be a reader but you need to know about the process one way and the other. There are bits of Falstaff that, although written at the end of the 19th century, sounds very modern, very incredible. So there is a lot of, I always keep saying, there's a, there's a lot of Richard Strauss in there, a lot of De Rosenkavalier, for example. Um, so, for example, sometimes not everything is written on paper. Francesco, what does the routine look like for a conductor? Is there a routine? How do you go about rehearsing an opera? Normally, the process starts with a music of uh, a week of music rehearsals, just purely music with the piano and the singers, and and in those are the days in which you try to match your vision of the opera with the cast that you have. So those are the first the first week you just do music rehearsal. And you understand a bit more about the singers and the and the tempos you can take, how fast or how slow you go in certain passages. It has to do a lot with also with what happens in on stage. So of course that's after that first week. Then we start this called production rehearsal, which are really building on the show, and that goes on for weeks. So every day is about six hours rehearsal conducting, and then after that starts the real kind of the hardest part, also the funniest though in which you rehearse with the orchestra alone, 
Then you do a rehearsal with the orchestra and the singer. So it's piece by piece, really. It's growing. really piece by piece, absolutely. It takes a long time. You know, it's it, our lives as, as, as conductors basically living for one month and a half in this world of music and, and, and stage and drama, which is, of course, is very something that we are very lucky to do. Um, but then you're completely absorbed by it. So do you do you get into the outside world when you're working building up to an opera? Do either are you both just at the Grange constantly we, or we in actually, London? We don't rehearsing? rehearse at the Grange. We rehearse in London for for five weeks and then we go to the Grange and spend about two weeks putting it on the on the set. But I think we both would say really that we have become quite. You 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 have to really you become you live like a monk really, and you just focus on putting the show on. I think it's the only way I've I've found that it's becomes all in all engrossing and that's really how we, one wants it to be it's wonderful but we we actually did start this process a very long time ago because we met in italy a year ago I, I was out there because i did a language course to try and get a bit better at italian in preparation for all this and i was out there so i was just down the road in Bologna and, and went across to Milan and we had lunch. And doesn't sound like too bad a preparation, no, does it? It's, Italy I'm, and Windsor? No, no, I wish I joined you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not that this was all... We didn't get paid to do that bit, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, we, but we really enjoyed it. And I think it's given the production, I hope, has given it a very solid foundation. say about the, the whole question of Verdi writing comedy I think is interesting because there is a theory that he actually was irritated by the criticism that he couldn't do comedy there is a theory that he actually did this partly to show that he could um, and I think maybe that's one of the reasons it's so good is because he did it with a real desire to prove something uh, the very end the, the there is this final choir that everyone sings saying tutto nel mondo è burla which it translates into English as um, everything in life is a joke. Yeah. Uh, and I think the way he did it was really like a final, a very kind of ironic, but also a way of, of looking back, thinking all this, it's a bit like in Macbeth, you know, like all the sound and fury of life, and yet it's actually almost like a joke. And I think he loved the idea uh, of of saying, look, you know, I've wrote the, the greatest tragedy of Italian opera and the last thing I write is actually a fugue uh, on these words. And I think he really enjoyed that because a lot of great, you know, great, great people, great geniuses um, love to decide how to go, you know, to have a say in how they take leave from the world. Yeah, it's, it's great to finish with something so light-hearted, isn't it? And it's very unpretentious, I think. Yeah. It's irreverent and daft and silly and fun and festive. I find that utterly delightful, that they, we think of them as rather forbidding, intimidating literary and musical figures, but actually they, they're just like us. They're full of fun and life. But there's a quote from Verdi. When I'm alone with my notes, my heart pounds and the tears stream from my eyes. It's a very sensuous, emotive, raw physical I love that. My heart pounds. Him. That's great. And you'd... You feel that in the piece. It's got a, a wonderful energy. It starts with, with a bang, and it never really stops. It's just got this perpetual motion. 
So if there's one thing that you want people to take away this evening seeing the production, whether it be a message or a certain way of thinking or feeling, what is it that you want an audience member to take away from your production, Chris, first? Well, I hope people have a really great time and I hope they find it funny and I hope they find it entertaining um, and have a sense that life is to, to be lived, life is fun, life is something to be enjoyed and we shouldn't allow ourselves to take it too seriously and I think at a time like this when you look around you at the world not only in this country but abroad I think it's um it's great to have a bit of escapism and I I think it doing this piece right now couldn't come at a better time and I hope that the spirit we have in the rehearsal room which is tremendous amount of fun translates to the audience and that we all have fun together been listening to this Grange Festival podcast exploring Verdi's full stuff with me Jack Pepper and joining them in their rehearsals in May we heard from Christopher Luscombe the director and Francesco Cilufo the conductor. Full Stuff runs at the Grange Festival from the 7th of June to the 29th and remember that the 2019 festival opens on Thursday 6th of June with the marriage of Figaro and ends on Saturday the 6th of July with Belshazzar. To find out more head to thegrangefestival.co.uk and follow us on Twitter at Grange Festival. Thanks very much for joining us and we hope you enjoy the performance.